You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. We're in Revelation chapter 2. While you're finding your place, uh, I just want to say how much I appreciate our Celebrate Recovery team. Uh, they are committed to that ministry to such a degree that no matter what happens, no matter what the holiday is, uh, they're going to be here every Monday night. And the reason they do that is because the consistency of it is what makes all the difference in the world. But what I really love about that team is, is they, they truly love the people that they're ministering to. I don't know where you know this or not, but our church is known for a lot of house in this community for broken people. Maybe that's what brought you here. Um, and Celebrate Recovery is a huge element to that, that if you're suffering with addictions, if you're suffering with anger, if you're suffering with depression, PTSD, maybe you're, it was in the military and you're suffering from that, well, this ministry's for you. I'm deeply grateful to be part of a church that runs towards broken people. I was a broken person once. And I'm thankful for the people who ran after me. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works." But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, it is by grace that we have been redeemed. It is by grace that we were able to get out of bed this morning and enjoy a new day. It is by grace that we were able to open our cupboards and get something to eat and get a fresh drink of water. It is by your grace that, Father, you provide jobs for us. It is by your grace you provided this fellowship to be part of. It is by grace that we have your word full and complete. Father, it is by your grace that you came pursuing us when we were in darkness in complete rebellion. And Father, for some of us even, we were angry with you, rejecting you, rejecting the truth, but yet your love and your grace compelled us to consider there was nothing else in this world worth living for. It was by your grace that you gave us friends and families, and it's by your grace that we're here this morning able to worship and to seek the truths from your word. 
So Father, we praise you for the grace that you've poured out on our life, realizing that we didn't deserve any of it, and we thank you for it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I'm each day coming to the realization that our world is more and more filled with liars and con artists. And it seems as though uh, we're having a hard time finding out where truth can be found. Social media, internet, was, was supposed to help with all this. It was supposed to give us a place where we can go find what is true. The problem now is that when you go to the internet looking for truth, you have a hard time distinguishing from the lies from the truth. One of the worst places to find a con artist, and unfortunately we have lots of them, is within religion. They, they may have a title of priest or pastor, or they may have DR in front of their name or some accolades at the end of their name, but one of the worst places to find a con artist, in fact, one of the worst places that a con artist can do some tremendous damage is within the world of religion. And the reason they do so much damage is they cloak lies in truth and they, 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 they know the terms, they, they know the, the religious terminology, but they undermine the meaning of what those words mean. I think it was Warren Worsby who wrote a lot of commentaries who said this. He says, false teachers, they, they, know, they know our vocabulary, but they don't know our dictionary. In other words, they use the words, but they change the meanings. One of the greatest things that I'm, I'm really concerned about as far as con artists is what's known today as a whole world of people who are making lots of money called influencers. And of course, their job is to do what? Well, to influence. Now, I have uh, taken a permanent step back from a lot of social media platforms just for my own personal health and benefit, but I, I try to keep an eye on things, and I hear about things, and I read people that I trust, and, and one of the things that is really concerning me right now is the platform called TikTok. Now, I'm going to be on the front end here and tell you I have no idea what it is. I just know that it's videos. And behind those videos are people who are influencers. They, they may have on their page all the people who are watching their content. And it could be hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions. And that carries a lot of weight among younger generations who are tuning in daily, even hours upon hours of day, and are watching people that they've never met, may never meet, who are Maybe just posting a video where they're singing a song, maybe lip-syncing a popular song, or maybe, maybe they're doing some kind of popular dance, or maybe some new dance. But the ones that really concern me are the ones who are posting videos encouraging kids to take the latest, greatest TikTok challenge. One that I, that I read about is simply holding your breath until you pass out. You know, several months ago, maybe even years now, um, and my wife and I had several conversations about it. We couldn't wrap our mind around it. Uh, kids were taking the challenge to eat a Tide Pod detergent. And ERs were filling up with kids, young kids, who were following these challenges because they were being influenced. I read several articles this week of, of parents who lost a child, even as young as 9 and 10 years old, and the parents had no idea that there was someone in their, 
child's life that was influencing them to such a degree that their child, nine to 10 years old, would take such a risk simply to film it and become popular on social media. And while they're planning the funeral, and while they're mourning the loss of their child, they begin to realize that there was a false teacher that had crept into the lives of their children. And that that person that they have never met, that person they didn't even know, the parents didn't even know who these influences were, found out that the person online had more influence in the life of their child than they did. And it didn't happen overnight. That's the other shocking revelation is it, it didn't happen overnight. It was over weeks and even months and maybe even years of viewing content online that, that they were not aware of. And then their child takes on a challenge that ends up taking their life or maiming them for the rest of their life. Folks, we are surrounded by con artists. We are surrounded by charlatans who are trying to influence you as an adult and your children to do something to lead them away from what they know to be true, what you've taught them to be true. Have you ever wondered why it is that so many, so many young adults, 18, 19 years old, are now deconstructing their faith? You know what that means? That means they're abandoning the faith that, that you taught them in their home, in your home, for 18 years of their life. They're walking away from it with no convictions, no issues, no problems, simply throwing in the towel, I don't believe anymore. For a large segment of them, they are being influenced by people who are out outright liars, who are simply making another dollar. We're going to get introduced to a church this morning that had an influencer right in the middle of this church, and Jesus has to call the church out for the one that has crept in as an influence. Jesus had to deal with influencers through his whole ministry. Go back to Mark chapter 7. I want to show you one instance of what Jesus says. So in Jesus' day, the, the grand influencers of his day, of course, no technology, were religious people. They were Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. These were the people that when they walked through the cities, when they walked through the towns, when they walked through the marketplace, just like Dave was talking about a little while ago, you, you looked at them and go, wow, I could never be like them. Man, look at them. They're so, they're so pious. They're, they're, they're so strongly adhered to the religion as a matter of fact, the way that they dressed spoke to their convictions. They had, the, the leaders of the Pharisees had these boxes on their forehead. They were called phylacteries. It was a leather pouch, and inside that leather pouch would probably be the scripture from Deuteronomy 6, where it talks about, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's some other particular verse that was very important to their faith in God and and, the, and even the long tassels on their robes indicated their rank within the religion that they committed their life to. And, and when they walked through town, everybody would kind of move out of the way, and, and everybody felt less than these people. Those were the influencers of Jesus' day. It also happened to be the same crowd that Jesus would often make very angry because Jesus didn't fit into their mold. He, he, was, he was a Jewish man. He, he, was, he was born from the line of David, but yet his idea of how to worship God, well, it didn't fit with what they believed. Pick it up in verse 1, Mark chapter 7. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes, again, these are the influencers, who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is, unwashed. 
People who are trying to influence you are always good at categorizing people. You're either on the inside or you're on the outside. And that's part of the technique that they use to influence that, oh, you're not part of our group. And if you want to be part of our group, then you have to do X, Y, and Z. Listen, folks, very little has changed. There's nothing new under the sun. All the way back in Jesus' day, here's Jesus with his disciples, and they're washing their hands. And there's a group of religious people standing around saying, you're not doing that right. You're wrong. We're right. You're wrong. You're on the outside. We're on the inside. And they say, Jesus, why is your disciples washing their hands incorrectly? Now, what does that mean? Well, the the Pharisees, these religious rulers, had, had the title. They had the power. They had the influence. So they got to dictate for everyone else what was right and what was wrong. And so they're telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, your men aren't washing their hands correctly. There's a, there's a way to do it so that you're clean, you're right with God. They're not doing it right, and you need to do something about it. Verse 5, and the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? This is another thing influences do. Not only do they point it out, but then they point out that there's another way you should be walking. There's another thing you should be believing There's another thing you should be giving your life to, and it's better than what you're doing. So the Pharisees look at Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, you're not doing the right thing. There's another path, and y'all are not on it. Listen to what Jesus says. He's going to quote from Isaiah. He says, well, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. There it is. The whole idea of the influencers in Jesus' day was, you need to listen to what we're saying. We are the authority. We know what is true. Now, we know what your eyes see. We know what science tells you. But that's all wrong. You need to listen to us. We're the ones that have the truth. You're not on our team. And if you want to be on our team, here's what you must believe. The reality is, folks, is although we're surrounded by influencers, make no mistake about it, they are asking you to put your faith in something. It is not as though religion is not part of the equation. I would argue that religion is exactly what's going on. You have people who are very, very zealous for their position. They will argue with you. They will even fight with you. And now they're beginning to do harm to other people who hold a different viewpoint. That has the very sound of religions to me. And they're asking you to put your faith in something, even though, you know, the reality says one thing, they're saying something different. They're asking you to put your faith in them and what they teach. Verse 8, he says, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. Now go back to Thyatira and Revelation. So we have already covered three churches up to this point, or three letters. We started out in Ephesus, right on the agency, and with each letter, Smyrna and then Pergamum, we've been kind of hugging the coastline of the agency in Asia Minor. Now, at this point, we're going to turn inland. So if you, if you look at the map of the agency in Asia Minor, imagine Ephesus is down here in the south, Smyrna is next, and up in the north is Pergamum. And at Pergamum, we're going to take a kind of a hard right turn. We're going to turn back south and go deeper inland in Asia Minor. And we're going to come to this church at Thyatira. Now, this church at Thyatira, we don't know who started it. Some people seem to think Paul might have had an influence there. We don't really know. But Thyatira is very different than the previous three churches and the cities they were in. Ephesus, Smyrna, big, metropolis, large cities, 
attracting thousands and thousands of people there for various reasons. The cities were beautiful. They were influential. There could be a quarter of a million people in each of those three cities. But when you get to Thyatira, it's completely the opposite. Thyatira is in a valley between two mountains. It had been attacked multiple times down through its history. The only reason this city, uh, this city is in existence now is because the Romans have put a guard, a large number of soldiers to guard it. Why were they guarding it? Because in Thyatira, we have a bunch of tradesmen. These are just common everyday folk. These are not wealthy people. These are not really influential people. They're just simply people who can work with their hands. In Thyatira, you have the coppersmiths. Paul ran into them in Ephesus, where they almost ran him out of town. But they were from Thyatira. In Acts 16, first time Paul goes into Macedonia, specifically Philippi, he goes to a riverside and begins to teach the gospel, and he meets a woman there by the name of Lydia. Lydia is a seller of purple, and guess where she's from? She's from Thyatira. So in the valley of this, this area, in Thyatira, the small city, the small community, what you have is hardworking people who worked with their hands and the sweat of their brow. They might have been iron workers and copper workers. They might have been stone, stone masons and, and, and people who, who took the roots out of the soil and used it to dye cloth in this beautiful purple. These are just common everyday folk. And in this valley... These people belonged in these groups together. The coppersmiths, they hung out together. The dyers of purple, they hung out together. And they formed what we know to be guilds. A guild is nothing more than, I guess in our context, be like a union, but not really. Kind of a group of people who did the same trade, and they looked out for one another. The thing you need to realize is each one of these guilds had their own god, their own idol. The coppersmiths had their god. The stonesmiths had their god. They had all their little gods and all their idols. And these particular people hated Christianity. They hated it with a passion. Because here's a church, here's a group of people that's come into town, and they're talking about Jesus as some other God, as the Son of God. And they hated the Christians with a passion. And what we have in this church, what we have in this community is a group of people in the church who were undermining their very culture. Now, when we were in Ephesus, we saw that they had false apostles that had crept in. Well, when we got to Smyrna, we found out that there was a group of Jews who, who claimed to be Jews, but, but Jesus said they're nothing more than a synagogue of Satan. In, in Pergamum last week, as Pastor Bobby filled in for me, and I appreciate him doing that, he talked about the very throne of Satan in Pergamum. In Thyatira, Jesus is going to talk about the very doctrine of Satan himself. We're called to live in a world that is not our home. As followers of Jesus, we're called to live in this world but not be part of it. How do we do that? And how do we do it as a church body? We are called to live out our faith together within the body of Christ, this particular fellowship. How are we to live that out when everyone in the world is trying to influence us? Every commercial that you watch, every, every commercial you hear on the radio, everything that pops up on your screen is trying to influence you. It may be to simply buy a product or something much, much more insidious. Parents, let me ask you a question. How much influence is the internet having on your kids right now? Do you know? Is there an influencer in your home that you don't even know about? Let's take a look at verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God. Notice that phrase, the Son of God. That, that phrase is not used anywhere else 
in the book of Revelation. And it's interesting that Jesus would use it here. Now, when we read these words of Jesus dictated to John, every word that Jesus used has a very specific reason why he's using it. Now, remember, if you read next, it says he has eyes like the flame of fire and feet whose feet are like burnished bronze. Remember, Jesus knows exactly what's going on in his church. If you haven't realized that now, you haven't been listening. Jesus knows exactly what's going on in his church. So in this moment, he says, the Son of God says these words. Why does he say that? Well, in these guilds, in Thyatira, they would often say that the idol they're worshiping is a son of another god. So all through these guilds, there was the belief system that, 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 that God, the gods that ran the universe had had sons, and those sons were their gods. And so what does Jesus start out in the very early part of this letter? He says, there is one son of God and only one and I'm him. And I see what's going on in my church. I see what's going on in the hearts of my people. And not only that, my feet, this burnished bronze, speaks of my unchanging nature. I'm not changing one way and another way tomorrow. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end. Nothing changes. I am the righteous standard, is what Jesus is saying here. And he says to his church, he says, I know your works. Your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. Jesus says, I know that this church loves well. That's exactly the opposite of what we found in Ephesus. Remember Ephesus? The church at Ephesus was doctrinally strong, but they were poor when it came to love. They simply didn't love God and they didn't love people. This church is exactly the opposite. So if you went to this church, if you could visit this church on a Sunday or on a weekend, here's what you would see. You would hear, you'd see a church that was serving their community in love. That's a good thing. Matter of fact, that word service echoes back to John 13, Jesus in the upper room. And how do we see Jesus serve in the upper room? He took on the form of a bondservant, a slave, and he girded himself with a cloth, and he washed the feet of the disciples, including Judas and Peter and all the disciples. This church is doing that, not necessarily physically washing feet, but they're out there serving the poor. They're out there helping people. They're out there doing it in the name of love. This church loves their community, and they love it well. And Jesus says, I see your love, I see what you're doing. I see your love, and I see your service. He says, I also see your patient endurance. It's interesting that Jesus would, would bring that term in, because loving your community and loving it well is going to require that you have patient endurance. I'm going to be transparent and honest with you folks. Every single week here at church, when I'm here during the week, every single week, we get folks who come here because they know we're a church who helps. They ring the door, we come down, myself or Pastor Bobby or Pastor Paul or Kim, we'll come down, we'll talk with them, find out what the need is, and our deacons get involved. But can I just be, can I be just completely honest with you? There are days, there are weeks that I have to go ask the Lord for forgiveness because I didn't act with complete love in that moment. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes people are making demands upon this church that quite frankly, well, are not honest. And if I'm not careful in those moments, I can, I can have love leak right out of my heart and I can, get pretty, I can get pretty sarcastic. So I have to guard my heart when this church has been placed here to run towards broken people. I shouldn't be surprised when broken people show up at our door who need a bag of food. We'll give it to them. Who need help with something? We'll do our best. 
And our deacons do their best to serve. But listen, Jesus says to this church, he says, I know you love well, and you've patiently endured in that love. That's something the Lord's still working on me. And maybe working on you in. To love well and to do it consistently over time. But notice what Jesus says next. He says, in your latter works, exceed the first. In other words, you started out loving well, and you're loving even better today than you did when you first started. That's incredible. It's one thing to start something. It's another thing to finish well. Baptist churches are good at starting things. Sometimes we're not too good at finishing well. This church not only started well, but they're progressing well, and they're continuing to just love more and more and more. That's an awesome thing. That's a church I'd want to be part of. They're loving well. But verse 20, we have that word, but. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Jesus does something here that, quite frankly, is amazing in how he, how he frames what's going on inside this church. Jesus goes back in the Old Testament and he pulls a name out of the Old Testament and he attributes that name to a person inside this church that is causing some significant problems. Now, I don't believe for a moment that the woman who's in this church, who's causing the problem, that her name is actually Jezebel. Here's why I don't think so. Because anybody who lived in that community, especially if they have any connection to the Old Testament, if there's a list of names that you're going to name your daughter, I guarantee you there's one name that ain't going to be on that list, even to this day, Jezebel. Just like, just like, how many, how many boys, young boys do you know that's named Judas? Not a lot. That name kind of went into obscurity. Why? Be well, because of Judas's betrayal. Well, what about Jezebel? What's her deal? Well, you go back to 2 Kings, you'll read about a woman who married a king of the northern tribes called Ahab. And this woman is evil to the core. She's the personification of evil. Just to give you an example of what she does, she was killing the prophets of God without any hesitation. Not only was she killing them, the one key prophet, Elijah, is on the run from Jezebel. Remember that moment with the prophets of Baal on the mountain? God answers by fire, and then they kill a whole bunch of her prophets, and then Jezebel looks right at Elijah and says, by this time tomorrow, within 24 hours, you're going to be just as dead as my prophets. And Elijah runs for his life. Not only that, but this woman was kind of the, the, the power behind the throne. Ahab was a weak, weak king. There's this one moment in Scripture where he sees this particular vineyard that he wants. He wants to take this land for himself. Well, Jezebel looks at him and says, well, you're the king, just take the land. He goes to Naboth, Naboth says, no, I'm not going to give it to you, I'm not going to sell it, it's, it's part of my family's heritage. He goes back and starts whining and crying. Jezebel goes to the king and says, look, you're the king but I'm going to take care of it for you. He, they start a rumor about Naboth. They end up stoning the guy to death and taking his land. This is the kind of woman that Jezebel was in the Old Testament. But get this, Jesus says, there's a woman inside the church at Thyatira who is just as evil. So when Jesus thinks of a name to help characterize who this woman is, the first name that he uses, the only name that he uses, is that woman out of the Old Testament, Jezebel. He says, Church of Thyatira, you have a modern-day version of the Jezebel of the Old Testament, and you better pay attention. So notice what this woman is doing. First of all, and by the way, I think this is a way we can kind of determine 
these influencers that are creeping into our life, the first thing that we see about Jezebel is she's got a title. Notice this. It says, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. So here we have a woman who has now given herself her own title, a self-designation of power and authority. So Jezebel goes into this church, and she begins to drop that title pretty quickly, I would imagine. Hey, did you know I'm a prophet? Hey, did you, did you know I can, I can speak on behalf of God? Hey, did you know I know the deep things of God? Hey, did you know I know some things? Hey, can we get together in a small group, and I'll tell you all that I know? I would say that happened almost immediately in this church. And she begins... To notice, she begins to teach. So not only does she have a title, and that title was used for power, it was used to, to influence people. Those influencers online, oftentimes, they'll have some title connected to their name. Have you ever seen a day and age in which you've ever lived, we have more experts? I got experts. We're up to our armpits and experts on everything. You get online, and, and you'll see on the news, it'll say some guy's name or some lady's name, and next to it, it'll say expert in. And you listen to that person talking, you're thinking, well, that sounds insane. But hey, it says expert. Or, or somebody with a PhD in front of their name. Or some title. They, they are the director of such and such. The CEO of such and such. And with that title, they expect you, here's, here it is, they expect you to surrender any rights to truth. And simply listen to the person because what? They're an expert. They've been to school. And they may be telling you something that you know is a lie. But they're an expert. I would imagine that Jezebel, this teacher in this church, would drop that title every opportunity she had, right? It was on her business cards. I'm joking. It would have been on her website, front page, prophetess Jezebel. All of her accolades would have been right there. Teacher of God's word. Why is she doing that? Why is she dropping the title? Because she wants you to surrender your truth. She wants you to surrender what you believe and listen to the expert. Notice what else she does. It says that she was teaching and seducing. So not only does she have a self-appointed title, she's very persuasive. I've watched just a few TikToks just to kind of get my head around what's going on. And I'm going to tell you something. These people are good at what they do. They're really good. They throw some music in there. They throw some dance moves in there. And then all of a sudden they get to the main point. And the main point is, hey, here's the challenge. You're going to take the challenge. If you don't take the challenge, you're not like us. If you don't take the challenge, you're not cool like us. If you don't go hold your breath or, or put a, a belt around your neck and choke yourself, then you're not one of us. If you want a million viewers, you got to do what we do. You want to be popular online, you got to do what we do. And they're very persuasive. And then what happens is they look and they see, man, there's a million people who've posted videos doing this. And there are people just like me, kids just like me, teens just like me. And then they're getting noticed and they're getting clicks and they're getting money and they're getting noticed and they're getting popular. And that's what everybody's talking about at school. Sounds pretty persuasive, doesn't it? Listen, I, <laughs> it's been a long time since I was a middle schooler, but I understand what that peer pressure's like. I'm 51, but I haven't forgotten it. I know what it's like to want to fit in. Folks, I still don't fit in. I fit in less now than I've ever fit in. But when I was in school, listen, I was the overweight kid. I was the kid that got picked on. And the only way I dealt with that was, was to deal with it. I had a sense of humor. I was the class clown. That's how I did it. I was, I was the overweight kid. I was the kid that got picked on all the time. I was not the athlete. I definitely wasn't the smart kids. So I was in this middle group of kids 
that didn't fit in anywhere, and I can tell you right now that if I'd had Instagram, and if I'd had Snapchat, if I'd had TikTok back then, probably would have been a bad news for me, because I was looking to fit in somewhere. I didn't fit in at all. I know what that's like. But I also know these influencers know what that's like. I know that these influencers are going to put some things in front of you to simply get you on their team. And their team means more money for the influencer. This teacher in the church was persuasive. Not only was she proclaiming what is true. Now remember, she's got the title, prophetess. I'm speaking on behalf of God, so you must listen to me. Never mind the fact that what she's teaching goes in direct opposition to what God has already said. But she was also seducing. She was leading them astray. Not only was she teaching them what to do, but she was being an example of what they should be doing. She's become a model. She's become someone they can follow. And what was she leading them towards? Notice this. To practice sexual immorality. I mentioned to you earlier that this new, it's not really new, it's just the way people are using this terminology is kind of new. Uh, we've had contemporary Christian artists, we've had pastors, we've had authors who come out and say, I'm going to deconstruct my faith. And what that basically means is, is that they all of a sudden came to this higher learning that Christianity is not true. So they begin to what they say, deconstruct, they go back to look at what they said they believed and they found out that it was all lies, that that the church is nothing more than a group of people who are trying to get something from you, and the Bible's a book of fables that can't be believed, and it's been doctored down through the years. Listen, I've heard all of it. I've heard all of it. So they come to this place where they're going to put no longer put their faith in Jesus, no longer put their faith in what God's Word says, but get this, they're going to put their faith in someone else, and that's the point you've got to understand, that those who are trying to influence are not asking you to abandon faith. No, they're asking you to put your faith in them. You see, when God created you, when God did you together in your mother's womb, he created you with a God-shaped hole in the center of your heart. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. Solomon says that very clearly. That, that you were created with a desire to know your creator. So we spend our life looking for something real. So we will listen to people who teach, people who are influencers, people like Dave said who seem to have their life together. So we'll grab it because we're looking for purpose, we're looking for meaning, we're looking to fit in, we're looking simply to be loved. So if that means putting something around my neck and starve myself with oxygen just so I can fit in to almost the point of dying, taking these funny colored pills. I don't even know what they are. They were just handed to me at school, but I really don't know what they are, but everybody else has taken them. It looks like candy, when in fact it's fentanyl, and I, but I'm, I'm going to try it just because everybody else is trying it. I really want to fit in. Or, or this guy online, he, he, he really seems to get me. He really seems to understand me, and, and now he's asking me to sneak out of my house and meet him at the mailbox. And Parents, you hear where I'm coming from here? Do you understand that the world is filled with con artists who are trying to not only influence you, but your kids? And they're willing to lie, and they're willing to put a title in front of their name, they're willing to persuade, and the fact is that a lot of parents are finding out that the greatest influence in their house is not them. It's not the church. 
Notice what else she does. Jezebel. She's teaching and seducing my service. Look at these two words, to practice sexual immorality. You see that word, to practice? In other words, I have a new path for you to walk on. The path you've been on is wrong. Jesus was told by the Pharisees and the scribes, hey, Jesus, you're wrong, we're right. Jezebel is telling the church that they can have their sexual immorality and have their religion at the same time. It's the same old lie that's been passed down from generation to generation. Satan doesn't need new tactics. The old ones still work. And the reality is, is he takes a little bit of truth and a little bit of error and he mixes it all together. So the idea that Jezebel's teaching in this church is compromise. Hey, you don't have to live in isolation. You don't have to live within the confines of marriage concerning your sexuality. Everyone else in the community is doing it. Gosh, how many times have you heard that? She's teaching a new path to walk, a new practice. But see, all of this is not what has Jesus, can't use the word upset. This is not what Jesus is going to point out. That's not the whole point here. Back up and I'll show you what Jesus has to point out, the problem with this church. Verse 20, he says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman. You see, Jesus knows the sin in her heart. He, he knows those who've kind of aligned with her. But the issue he has with his church is not the sin that she's committing. It's the fact that the church is putting up with it. Well, you may ask, well, what's the church supposed to do? Well, what would a church supposed to do in that moment? If you've got someone who comes in and, man, they seem pretty convinced and they, man, they really love people. And what should the church do? Well, Jesus is going to be very clear about that. I find it interesting that the Jezebel just happens to show up in this particular church. Here's what I think. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's a church that loves well. And Jesus commends them for that. But wouldn't it make sense for a false teacher to come in there and go, look, guys, I know you love well, but loving people really means joining them in what they're doing, not telling them they're wrong. Church, listen, you, you can't tell the community they're wrong. That wouldn't be loving them. So we, we can't be hard on doctrine. We got to soften up on our doctrine a little bit. We got we to let go of some of our Puritan ways. I'm speaking in our context, not theirs. You got to let go of some of the old stuff, the old religion. And if you really want to reach the community, here it is. You got to become like them. You got to go join them. And don't draw such a hard line. Don't be so doctrinal. Don't be focused on theology. Why did Jezebel show up in this church? Because this church was primed and ready for that kind of teaching. And apparently, they embraced it. But there were some in the church, apparently there were some in the church, who saw this as a problem because Jesus says in verse 22, actually verse 21, I gave her time to repent. In other words, Jesus says he's been given this some time. So apparently this has been going on for a while. Apparently, there were some in the church who knew it was wrong, but here's the problem. Either A, they were afraid to do anything, or B, they agreed with her. But the reality is, is they're putting up with it. And as they're putting up with it, their hearts as a church may be filled with love towards their community, but let me tell you what's going on in their body. They're filled with cancer. Cancer is eating away at who they are. While their heart may be filled with love for their community, they have cancer, and it's eating them alive. Slowly but surely, Jezebel is influencing this entire church. 
and Jesus is not pleased, it's because the church is putting up with it. What should the church do? The church should confront her. The church should welcome her to repentance and to admit that she's wrong. And if she repents, notice what Jesus says here, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Jesus gave her time. This is incredible. Jesus extended grace to this woman. And that speaks loudly to wherever you are in life, whatever you've done, whatever you've gotten wrong, whatever you, you've made a shipwreck of your life. If Jesus gave Jezebel an opportunity to get right, then you've not gone too far. And that speaks to that grace that we just sung about a little while ago. It's an incredible, amazing grace. Jesus said, I gave her time to repent but she's not going to. She's refusing it. Verse 22. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop some judgment on her because church, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. What is supposed to be the process? What is supposed to happen? Jesus is giving her time to repent, but what is the, what is the church's responsibility in that? The church is to go to her and confront her with her false teaching. Now, that takes courage. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew chapter 18. He says very clearly to the disciples that if you have somebody in your fellowship that is living in a way that is opposite of God's word, Jesus says you need to go to them, you need to talk with them, you need to do it in love, you need to do it in kindness, but you need to do it firmly, and you need to say to that person, look, you have departed from truth, you're living in a way that is outside of your faith in Jesus, and we want you to come back. We want you to get right with the Lord. We want you to turn around because the path you're on, well, it leads to destruction. And Jesus says you're to do that multiple times. You're to do it with other people. But at the end of that text in Matthew 18, Jesus says this very clearly. He says, look, if they refuse to repent, if they refuse to see the truth, if they refuse to turn back, Jesus says you are to turn them out as though they were never born again, as they were never part of your fellowship. Because the reality is, People who've been reborn, you know what they do when they're confronted with the reality that they're wrong? They, re they repent. A fruit of a born-again believer is the fruit of repentance. A person who's following Jesus will admit that they're wrong and come to that place and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I do that every day. But the person who rejects repentance, the person who says, absolutely not, I'm not wrong, y'all are wrong, and rejects it in their pride, they are telling you clearly with precision, that I'm not actually a follower of Jesus after all. He says, I will strike Jezebel down with sickness, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation. In other words, Jesus says, she had some influence over some people, and there's some people inside the church that have kind of begun to follow her teaching and follow her example. He says, not only am I going to throw Jezebel in a sickbed, but those who follow her, I'm going to put some pressure on you. And the pressure is to you to repent and come back to me. But then Jesus says something pretty astounding. He says, and I will strike her children dead. Man, that's, that's a hard statement. Here's the way I understand this. Inside the church, you had one group of people they were kind of following after Jezebel, but they knew something wasn't right. They, they knew that what was going on here was not right. Although they were still following her model, they were engaging in sexual immorality, there was something on the inside of them that says something's not right. But then there was another group of people 
who were so much involved with Jezebel that they, Jesus considers them to be her children, which means they became disciples of Jezebel. They put their faith in what Jezebel was teaching, which means that there was no wavering whatsoever. They were all in. And Jesus says, by the fact that they're all in, reveals the reality that they were never my children to start with. They're her children. And since she's refusing to repent, they are refusing to repent, then I am going to bring judgment. In this context, he says, I'm going to take their life. Physically, yes, he very well may do that. And then also spiritually, in a second death, when they have to face eternity. Jesus says, this is a serious matter, church. And church, you're not taking it seriously enough. Paul would tell the church in Ephesus, and he would tell all of us, all down through history and time, that there will be wolves in sheep's clothing. The pastor that I served with for uh, four years when I first started, he told me something I've never forgotten. Because in that particular church, we had some wolves in sheep's clothing. He told me this. I never forgot. I was sitting in his office one day. He said, uh, he said, wherever God leads you, wherever you end up in ministry in, in the years ahead, he said, I want you to know something. He said, wolves, you can't pet them. You can't make a friend out of them. He said, they will rip your arm off. The only thing you can do with a wolf is put a knife right through its chest, spiritually speaking, okay, spiritually speaking. He said, you got to get them out of your church. Did you know we've had some wolves in sheep's clothing creep in here? That myself and other leaders have had to deal with because they came for the sole purpose of division. And we've had to ask them to leave because they wouldn't repent. This is to be taken seriously, folks. Jesus takes time in these letters to say to the church, do not tolerate someone who is in there teaching exactly the opposite, leading exactly the opposite of what God's Word says. Don't do it. Don't tolerate it. Deal with it. Invite them to repent. Invite them to get right. Invite them to surrender to Christ. But if they don't, there's only one thing you can do with a wolf. Let's get them out of the flock as quickly as possible. Jesus says to this church, he says, some of you remain faithful. He says, some of you, some of you, verse 24, the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Oh, I want you to notice, Jesus says, look, church, I know what you've been through. I know that you love well, and I know this woman has caused a lot of damage to your church. So right now, what I want you to do is I want you to remain faithful. I want you to stay true to what you know to be true. But church, I need you to understand something. Just like in Pergamum, we have the throne of Satan. In Smyrna, we have the Jews who claim to know God, who are actually the synagogue of Satan. In Ephesus, we have the false apostles. Notice this, title after title after title. And notice this, they are teaching something. It's not as though we only have our doctrine. There are other teachings, other doctrines that are, in fact, false doctrines. And Jesus calls it out right here, and he says, it is the deep things of Satan. I want you just to wrestle with that phrase for just a moment. The deep things of Satan. This is Jesus speaking who sees all of time and space, sees all that there is to see, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful, 
sovereign God of the universe, and he says to the church at Thyatira, there are deep things of Satan that Jezebel is teaching in your midst. Folks, I would offer to you, and I, I, don't, I don't want to sound alarmist. I don't want to sound like I'm, I don't know, some kind of uh, setting off some kind of wild alarm. I just want you to listen to what I'm saying. Those folks online that have access to you and your kids, they've got millions of people watching them, and they're making millions of dollars off of that. But if they're teaching your kids to harm themselves, if they're, te- if they're challenging your kids to hurt themselves, to, to ingest things that can kill them. Can, can we all just agree that that is the deep things of Satan? Parents, look at me. Look me in the eye right now. I want you to, don't be looking down. Look up. Can we agree that there are people online that are trying to influence your kids towards the deep things of Satan? If they want your kids to take a challenge to harm themselves so they can make a cheap buck and get their name up in lights, can we agree that that is the deep things of Satan? Thank you. And if it is, then we might want to be on the gate watching. We might want to ask some hard questions. We might want to take a look at their history file on their iPad. Kids just got freaked out right then, didn't you? Yeah, the history file that's logging in the back of your computer right now, and your iPad and your phone, it's all there. Parents, if you don't know how to do that, Google search it and do it. Parents, listen to me. We are called to be parents, not our kids' BFFs. My kids know I'm not their best friend. I don't have to be. I'm their parent. I love them with all my heart. Lay down my life for them. But I have to watch the gate because that's what God has called me and my wife to do. Because there are people in this world that want to influence my kids and your kids. And they have a title in front of their name and they're pretty persuasive because they use music and dancing and it looks all harmless. But man, in the background, they're teaching some doctrine there. Let me tell you where the fountainhead of that doctrine is. None other than the gates of hell itself. We've got to take this seriously. And we've got to be on the gate. And we've got to be watching. Jesus says that The one who conquers and keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken into peace, and even as myself, I have received authority from my Father, and I will give them the morning star. I believe that morning star is is that the church is going to receive Jesus himself, the bright and shining one. But we've got to endure in this time into which we live on this planet. We've got to endure. We've got to walk by truth. You may be asking a very good question at this moment. It's It's a viable question. You should be asking you need to ask it every week. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. Maybe you're one of the, maybe you're one of the influencers. Maybe you're the one who's trying to mislead me. Maybe what you're saying is not true, and maybe what they're saying is true. Why should I believe you? That's an awesome question. You need to ask that every time you come in this building. How do I know what that pastor's saying is true? I, I want you to do that. If you have questions about it, I want to talk with you about it. I had someone tell me face-to-face just a few weeks ago, this person was, someone after first service said, the word I was looking for is obnoxious. That's probably the right word. Not part of this fellowship. Someone in the community um, had a serious disagreement with me and, well, another week, another day, right? But anyway, this person says, uh, look, the only reason you do what you do, the only reason you preach, the only reason y'all are out in the community praying, the only reason you're doing that is because you want people to give money to your church. 
You see, y'all are all about the money. Pastor, you're all about the money. They're paying your salary, Pastor. So of course you're going to go out. Of course you want people to come. It's not about Jesus. It's about you. Wow. Face-to-face, too. That's a pretty tense conversation. Um, there's a lot of that viewpoint in the community. I understand that. Um, but I'll say to you again what I've said before. I'm not here because you pay me, pay me a salary. I'm here because God called me here. If you stop paying me tomorrow, I'll have to get a job, but I'll still be here next Sunday. Because until God says I'm no longer to be here, I'm going to stay right here. Doing what God's called me to do, walking with you, teaching you the truth. But just because I have a title, just because I have, you know, a degree, uh, just because this church, listen, don't take my word for it. Get in the word yourself. Talk to your parents. Check it out. See if I'm misleading you. The last thing I ever want to do is mislead you. But do I want to persuade you? Oh, you better believe I want to persuade you. Oh, yes, I'm here to persuade you all day long. How can we find out these false teachers? How do we know who they are? Well, first of all, they're going to come with authority. They're going to come with a title. They're going to come with expert next to their name. They're going to come with a flashy website and a nice little video. They're going to come with authority, and they're going to demand that you believe in them. But it's not because they love you. It's not because they want the best for you. It's because they want more money in their bank account. The authority figures, they have the red carpets laid out for them. They drive the, the big fancy cars. They just got the brand new Lambo. They just got the new house at the beach. They, they must be people of authority, right? Look at all that they've got. But they're Jezebels. They're influencers. Who want to mislead you? Number two, they always have a mixture of truth and error. They'll present something that sounds right. You know, on the surface, it just, it just sounds right, but then there's that catch in your spirit, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, there's that catch in your spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, by the way, who's saying, wait a minute, you're being told a lie. They'll mix truth and error together. Third, they will want to lead you to a practice of sin. Let me, let me share this with you real quick. Every young person that I have seen or had contact with who says now that they've deconstructed their faith, they've walked away from the church. Let me tell you what I have found, not every time, but I would say, I'd say 95% of the time, here's what I have found on the backside of that story. You're not going to be shocked. Sexual immorality, it's a powerful, powerful, luring, well, it's, it's something that appeals to our flesh, right? So to cast off faith so I can live the way I want to live, I'm going to deconstruct my faith. And when I look at those folks who said those very things, you know what I find out? I find sexual immorality every time without fail. You think the two are connected? Folks, we live in a community right now. We live in a world right now that is absolutely, everywhere we look, it's about sexuality. Everything is about sexuality. Everything is about sex. Everything. The radio ads. The stuff that pops up everywhere you look, it's about that topic. So the idea is the influencers are saying, no, you don't have to live with restraint. You don't have to live in those old Puritan ideas from the past. You need to cast that off, and you need to embrace, and here it is, the better version of you. Have you heard that one? The better version of you is committing all kinds of sexual deviancy that the Bible says will lead you down a path of destruction. And then finally, it will lead to a practice of sin. Practicing something that you once believed was wrong is now just everyday life. 
And you've gotten really good at explaining away why it's not really wrong at all. Because the influencers have taught you their doctrine that there really is no truth. And eventually it just leads to complete denial of Jesus entirely. Parents, adults, grandparents, I know some of your grandparents are raising some grandkids. Parents, adults, the fact of the matter is, is that this world is asking you to believe something. Just like I'm asking you to believe something. But all you have to do is look at the motivation behind what they're doing. We'll tell you what you need to know. But parents, it's not a bad thing, a wrong thing to look at your kids and go, this, uh, this is real sage advice here. This goes, I mean, this goes back generations. This is a real important phrase. You may have to look at your kids and simply go, no. No. You're not watching that? Nope, you're not doing that? Yes, I'm going to look at where you're at on the iPad. Yes, I'm going to look at where you're going. Yes, I'm going to look at what you're watching. We're going to sit down and watch it together. I want to see what you're looking at. There are people trying to influence you. Adults, it's not any different for you. You're being influenced. Do you have some influencers in your home that you don't even know about? Maybe it comes through Netflix. Amazon Prime. But they are influencing your family more than you know. And just like Jezebel, there was an agenda behind it. So families, parents, adults, let's pay attention. Let's be on the gate. Let's be on the lookout for what's coming into our home and how it has the potential to destroy the very family that you love. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. These are perilous times in which we live. You said it would be this way as time marches on. And Father, parents, grandparents are, and they're worn out, they're worn down, they're, they're tired, they're trying to make ends meet. Financially, it's a struggle. Spiritually, it's a struggle. And Father, I know that they're tired and Lord, the last thing they need is one more thing on their list to do. But Father, this is so important. This is so vitally important. We can't just relegate it to something further down the list. And Father, it's just not our kids, it's, it's adults. We are being influenced as well. So Father, I pray that every person in this room, everyone watching online, would know that your grace is sufficient. If your grace was sufficient for Jezebel, if she had turned and if she had repented, you would have forgiven her. That same grace is available today. Whatever things we've gotten wrong, whatever we've, wherever we've missed the mark, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Father, I pray that we would be diligent in our own personal life and the lives of our family. And that we'd be on the lookout for those who are teaching the deep things of Satan. That we call it what it is, put a stop to it. And that the only influence that we would have in our life is the Holy Spirit, your word, kingdom of God that is coming with power and authority. Father, may that be so in the heart of every person here this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist.